a word. It was Andy's fault. <laughs> Andy came to me and he said, there's this church that God's telling me you need to go to in uh, West Texas. And he told me that I was going to buy your ticket and you need to go. I said, really? He said, I said, well, what did they say about it? They said, send him on. So I showed up and my very first message was purifying the altar. Now I hadn't written a book yet. I was in the process and it was only this big. I mean, you wouldn't think anything like this could be so dangerous. It would get you kicked out of California. But it ticked off the powers that be and they called up and down the state and I got blackballed in California. This started my traveling ministry. <laughs> and you know, since we're on this trip down memory lane, you know, you preach a word and you expect God to be gracious, bless people. You don't expect him to kill him and blow him up. But you know, sometimes God has to lift the lid off of sin before he can heal us. And there was some undercover stuff going on and God lifted the lid on it. And I mean, it was hard. It was hard for everybody. But this church was the first church that committed. Because I remember the day the elders came to me and said, now this is about uh, two, three years later, four, maybe four years later. Because we had walked through all the shame and the blame and the, the guilt of all the, you know, uh, stuff that was going on. And God was given a church a name change and, and I, I remember when Larry and the elders came to me and said, we made a choice. We're going to build this church on the principles of purifying the altar. We're not going to manipulate for money. We're just going to preach the word. And we're going to follow this principle. Hallelujah. Now, this was the first church that ever did that. And uh, I'll tell you what, that was a real blessing to me. And the... First thing they said to me was, listen, since you're the cause of blowing this place up, you're going to have to walk with us until it's healed. <laughs> well, hopefully we put a cap on the healing process, I trust. Hallelujah. I'll tell you what, we have gotten into some stuff through the years. We really have. And But to the best of our ability, we have built solidly on Scripture and solidly on the Word. And um, I'll tell you what, these last uh, few years have been the most interesting of all because uh, about two years ago, a little over two years ago, the Lord came to me and He said, because you chose not to build a ministry, but you built a relationship with me, now I'm going to come and teach you. And the first thing I'm going to teach you is Ephesians. It's Paul's testimony. I'm going to teach it to you the way I taught it to him. And so that's when uh, that year I called Larry and said, you know, Larry, I began, it was toward the middle of the year. And, and I know I have, I've been coming out here long enough. I'm, I know how Larry likes to get organized at the beginning of the year and plan the whole schedule for the year. And I said, I know you probably got your schedule already planned and this is impossible. 
But God's telling me I cannot continue doing business as usual. This is a message that is so important. I would like to have the same weekend for four straight months to to introduce these nine sonship gifts because it's the key to building a relationship with Jesus that will carry us through the last days. No doubt in my mind. And I said, I'm sure that's probably not possible. And he says, well, actually this year, the last quarter, I haven't organized yet. So he said, it is possible. So we did. And uh, I, I didn't expect to have to go back through this three times because the Lord kept telling me, you missed something, you missed something, you missed something. So I have been through Ephesians uh, three different times trying to glean everything that the Lord told me I missed. So open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1. For those of you who might not have been here, I'll try to be a bit pastoral and give you a two-minute review. Hallelujah. All right, Ephesians 1, we'll start in verse 15. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now this is called, there are two um, uh, parallel prayers in Ephesians to the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. They're parallel because they go together. They fit together. I mean, they're, they're like a hand in a glove. Because what Jesus prayed in John 17, these two prayers finish what Jesus introduced in John 17 in the high priestly prayer that he prayed. Alright, so if you, if you're gonna, the, these three you need to read together. You read John 17, 20, and 21, 22 and 23. Then read Ephesians 1 verses 15 through 23. This is Paul's first prayer. Then his second prayer is in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. Now you read those together because the two that are prayed here by Paul show you how to walk out what Jesus prayed in John 17. They go together like a hand in a glove. All right. They finish what Jesus started. Is the bottom line. So looking in verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened. That you may one may know what is the hope of his calling. Alright. There are. The first thing the Lord said to me. The book of Ephesians is about three. Whole book is about three main issues. Issue number one. It's possible for every believer. To develop the same relationship with the father that Jesus had. It's possible as a son and a daughter, you can have the same relationship with Father God that Jesus had, number one. That's the hope of his calling. Number two, it, it, when you develop it, it takes you in the same path it took Jesus. Because once you establish the relationship, and, and let's get this straight, that ain't going to happen without obedience. It ain't going to happen without you and I bowing our knee. It ain't going to happen without you and I developing a lifestyle of repentance. Amen. Because God knows what we're full of, and we're the ones that are playing catch-up. And every once in a while, when you find something that you didn't think was there...
It's a lifestyle. Repentance is a lifestyle. You never get too old for it. God's good at showing you stuff to repent for. Even when you hit 70. Occasionally. You want to take somebody's head off a couple of minutes before it's time. Smile at somebody and say, we all got stuff. We got stuff. And what we do is we spend a lifetime bringing our stuff and underneath the Lordship of Christ, putting it under the Lordship of Christ. So there's no shame in being deceived. The only shame is that once you see it, you won't do this. Now that's what causes people to fall away. Right there. They just won't turn. But if you develop a lifestyle of turning, you become like King David. Nobody keeps you from your fullness in Christ if you develop a repentant heart, if you're quick to turn. So that's one of the number one characteristics we want. And we want to sow. And so we have to exhibit. So occasionally those of us in ministry have to get in the pulpit and repent. I've been there many times. <laughs> Hallelujah. And it's always fun. No doubt about it. Okay, number two. Verse 18. Second stage of this relationship. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Please circle in verse 18. The riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Because we've gotten up to sonship gift number eight and nine. Number eight is inheritance. And number nine is the seal of the Holy Spirit. So what I'm going to be looking at this weekend, I'm going to be trying to finish this up. Holy Spirit, possibly if we can get all of that in, maybe at least I can do the highlights of it. But mostly inheritance. Because inheritance is no small deal. You've got a New Testament inheritance. And you've got the four previous covenants that it goes back and pulls out of those. And you've got all of that as an inheritance also. So the Abrahamic covenant, the very first one, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We have a major inheritance right there. Which today is at risk. Which today civil war is unfolding over this inheritance. And I'll tell you, it's it's scary what uh, we're starting to see develop in this nation. How many of you remember uh, Bob Jones about seven years ago prophesied civil war in the church? He had a vision. He saw a, a civil war gala. You know, the big antebellum stuff and all the, the puffy dresses and all that stuff. He saw it all. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, what is this? Uh, he, he, he showed him the whole thing, and then Bob said, what does this mean? <coughs> Pardon me. And the Lord said, it means civil war is coming to the church. Bob said, why? Because the blue represents moving out of your heart. Heart. 
under the leadership of the Spirit. The gray represents your gray matter right here, moving out of your intellect, your mind, will, emotions. And the church has to move away from moving out of your intellect into moving in the power of the Spirit out of your heart. So there's a civil war coming over that. Well, that civil war was just launched uh, a little over a month ago. And I mean to tell you, we, we are in, it is developing in full bloom. And it is coming to the church. Well, I'll tell you, I'm about to jump ahead of myself. There are three things here. When you develop a relationship with Jesus, with the Father like Jesus had, the, the, what follows that are the riches of the glory of His inheritance. You find an anointing. And that anointing heals. That anointing delivers. That anointing uncovers. That anointing blesses. That anointing provides. And that anointing unfolds the inheritance of God in your life so that you can fulfill God's purpose. It takes the inheritance to fulfill God's purpose. You have a living inheritance with, uh, as a member of the family of God, and then that inheritance walks you into uh, number three, uh, verse 19, the exceeding greatness of his power. So every single chapter of the book of Ephesians is about the fullness of Christ. If you will develop the relationship, you cannot help but do the works Jesus did. You cannot help but do greater works than Jesus did because they all come out of relationship and they are all assigned to the Holy Spirit to manifest in your life. The only way you miss it is to choose your will over God's will and not bow your knee. can't be that simple. It is that simple. It is very, very simple. Christianity is relational. You were born to be a son and daughter of a king. And that's who you are. No blame, no shame, no guilt. What a blessing to be singing it. Nice job, Michael. Whoever did that this morning, I assume you had a hand in it. Good job. Hallelujah. I love singing the word. Man. All right. Here's how you get there. Back up and let's do this quick review and so we can get on because I want to talk to you about your inheritance, which is shaking the civil war that is developing. It is all aimed at your inheritance. It depriving you of your inheritance. All right, look at verse 4. Just as he chose us. Okay, there are nine of these. Everybody say nine sonship gifts. Nine. You got nine of them. Number one, you were chosen before the foundation of the world. Number two, God declared you holy. Number three, you are blameless. All right, chosen, holy, and blameless now qualifies you for adoption. 
Because in adoption, where you literally take up your position as a son and daughter of the Most High, you have to be chosen holy and blameless because when you say yes to number four, adoption, God's moving into your residence. He's taken up Amen. residence in your house. Amen. You see those little signs, baby on board. Amen. You need to do one that says God on board. He's living in my house. He's right here. God on board. So those three things make it possible for God to take up residence in us at our adoption. So would you please smile at somebody and say, God has delivered you from all your family traits. Because he adopted you into his family. And he gave you the power of the Holy Spirit to bow your knee to all of that influence that came from the previous family you were born in. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Smile at somebody and say, change your residence. Do it up here. I choose to be a son and a daughter of the king. Now, as a son and daughter of the king, number four is adoption. You see, that's in verse five. Now, you've got a three-stage establishing of your position in this new family. Three of them, five, six, and seven sonship gifts. Starting in verse six. To the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted. Carty 2-0, Carty 2-0. Three times in the New Testament accepted. Carty 2-0 is used. The first one, Gabriel announces it to Mary. Hail, highly favored one. Carty 2-0. Mary gets one, you get two. Why? Her chief job, get pregnant and birth the Christ. Our job, birth both the physical and the spiritual Christ in the last days. Under a lot more persecution. So we, it's a lot more difficult. Because it's double the assignment that Mary had in the end time church. So you get two accepteds. So once you say yes to accepted, all right, then you get sonship gift number six in Ephesians 1, 7, redemption. You are redeemed. The Lord pays all the penalty, all the tickets, all the fines. It's all paid. And then number seven, forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is really remission. So, remission is forgiveness plus expunging. Forgiveness is one thing, but expunging is something else. Expunging, no record. Whatever you and I, even after we're saved, whatever we repent for, no record. (laughs) No record. No record changes things. No record is the beginning of confidence before God. Because in no record, if you have nothing in your heart that condemns you, First John chapter 3, then you have confidence before God and whatever you ask, you receive. Now you're walking in your inheritance. 
But what most of us do is we give head knowledge to that instead of actually believe it and appropriate it. And and if you want to check yourself, check your self-talk. Your self-talk is what you say to yourself when you do something stupid. Like go too fast and get a ticket. <laughs> My car was made to cruise at 80. It's normal for it. It didn't like any other speed. Not my fault. It was made that way. <laughs> Shoot. Oh, Lord. The Apostle Paul is probably the worst case we have in the entire New Testament because he's the closest thing to a serial killer you can find. In Acts 7, he's he's orchestrating the death of Stephen. In Acts 8, he's still breathing threats and murder against the church. In uh, Acts 9, he's on his way to Damascus doing the same thing, destroying. He who formerly destroyed, destroyed, destroyed. Three times in the New Testament... It talks about Paul as the one who formerly destroyed the church. That means who he couldn't kill, he imprisoned. Well, look it up. I didn't write it. Three times, he who formerly destroyed the church now preaches Jesus. Three times. It tells you, we got a serial killer here. But when God walks him through this, when he's facing the Ephesians... Ephesian elders saying goodbye. He's never going to see him again. See these hands? They're innocent of the blood of all men. That wasn't me. That was somebody else. That wasn't me. I'm a new man in Christ. No record. Come on, church. No record. If you start acting like, living like, thinking like, no record, it's you. Here's what happens. Faith rises. Because your heart, there's nothing in your heart that condemns you. It's uh, it's amazing how easy this is if we'll follow the path that's outlined for us. And this is the path that's outlined. I mean, you just don't come into this overnight. You have... You have to accept, I was chosen by God before the foundations of the world. He declared me holy. I'm blameless. Whoa, look at this. I used to identify myself as a house. Now I identify myself as a son of the living God. I identify more with that than the other. I'll tell you what, that was a promotion. Son of the living God was a promotion. Because once I get established in that family, I don't have to deal with pride. I don't have to deal with... Uh, the spirit of man. I don't have to deal with all this stuff that came down that old family. My granddad's the meanest man in town. You talk about anger running through a family? <laughs> People like that are good in work because they don't care who they kill. Give me the biggest gun. Nuclear weapons delivery school. Turn me loose. I'm ready. That doesn't bother me a bit. In the war. I'm for that. 
<laughs> I didn't ask to be born this way, but I was. Conscience problem? No. Got my first gun at six. BB gun. My dad owned a hardware store. The BBs were free. (laughs) They were free until a parade of little old ladies walked into the hardware store. And said, do you realize there's a trail of dead birds all the way from the east end of town to the west end of town? And we know who's killing them. It's your kid. (laughs) Dad calls me in and said, I've had some complaints. I said, really? Yeah, he said, there's a trail of dead birds that follows you. I said, they're just sparrows. They were made to be shot. Come on. God created them for target practice. He said, all right, son, your penalty is from now on you have to buy your BBs. Oh, jeez. Now, that's a real man. It's a real man who doesn't take your gun away. Here's your penalty from now on you pay. That's a dad right there. That's a dad. So two years later, you got a single shot Harrington and Richardson. And the first commandment was you're buying your own bullets (laughs) and don't kill anything that you can't eat so I promptly go out with my brand new gun and I killed every frog on every pond and I mean dad had land on four sides of town I depopulated the frog population brought them to zero dad looked at all those dead frogs and I was raised by the old school. They wouldn't tell you, you can't go do that again. That's not how they operate. They're a little like God in that way. I want you to go out and pick up every one of those frogs. Cut their legs off and skin them. You don't want, you don't want to know the fastest way to get delivered from shooting frogs. Have to cut their legs off and skin. They are the slimiest creatures. Oh God. It was the last frog I ever shot. And try to fry it to jump out of the pan. They're impossible to fry. I had to fry every one of them. <laughs> yeah. What a penalty. Oh, shoot. Never shot another frog. Hallelujah. Oh, guys, we've got an inheritance from a rich dad who has a family business. Hello? Come on. Dad has a family business. And we got drafted into it. Now, I want you to look at how this unfolds because this is a picture. Now, this unfolds about what you and I can do. This, after you get established as a son or a daughter, redeemed, forgiven, 
No record. The mystery of his will, verse 9, now he can trust you with it, which he's purposed from the foundation of the earth. So that begins to unfold in front of you. Now look at 10 and 11, because they flow together. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. Do you see what verse verse 10 says? I've read this a thousand times and never saw it until God showed up to teach me. Son, in Christ, heaven is accessible to earth. And it's your assignment as my son to bring heaven to earth. You bring the anointing of heaven. You bring what Jesus bought and paid for. That your inheritance is now in heaven. Relationally, you bring it to earth. The Lord's Prayer. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Nice confirmation. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom. Well, that was Jesus. Yeah, and you're a son and a daughter. And you're a member of the family business. And you have that inheritance. You have that assignment. This is an assignment from the Lord. You live out of heaven and I'll give you the glory that changes things on the earth. That's step two. You build the relationship. You watch the glory come manifest through your life. And before you're done, I will take you into the exceeding greatness of his power. Woo! You can't do that unless you get established as a son and daughter of the king. And then it flows from relationship. You can't stop it then. There is no stopping it. Oh my gosh. You have an inheritance. Number eight. That inheritance is the fullness of Christ. The church is defined in the last verse of Ephesians chapter 1 as the fullness of him who fills all in all. And your assignment is to bring the power of heaven to change what's going on here by faith. By faith. By faith. And by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what a church full of people ever bit as committed as Jesus was is going to look like in the last days? Oh, man. That's what we're about to step into. The glory is about to burst forth in manifestation. The fullness of our inheritance. Man, that word inheritance shows up in a lot of places in our Bible. It is no wonder the devil is running scared. He really is. He has to be running scared in order to start a civil war that he knows he's going to lose in the church. And he started it. How did he start it? Well, the the hyper-Calvinistic section of the church 
decided to come after the spirit-filled section of the church. Again. When I was in seminary, guess who one of my mentors was? Walter Martin. Walter Martin, the Kingdom of the Cults guy, that's him. Well, he had a, a whole lot more advanced disciple than me, Hank Hanegraaff. So now, yeah, Hank wrote a book called Crisis in Christianity where he ripped every single spirit-filled leader. Yeah. I mean, ripped them. Now, anybody as old as I am can remember that. Maybe it helps because I happened to be there. I was in the center of that war when it unfolded. I saw it happen. The Bible answer man from Walter Martin to Hank Hanegraaff. Here comes Hank. God almighty, what an idiot. How stupid is it to attack the Holy Spirit? Now, I don't see how you win that. But Hank did. And you know, Hank didn't last long. You know those early dead birds? I was training. (laughs) <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> Hallelujah. So when I look behind me, what do I see? I see a string of dead bodies. That reminds me of those dead birds. Uh-huh. And I didn't ask for it, but God led me into it. He led me into conflict in the spirit. Amen. Amen. And then I looked around and they were, all the guys I was, they were gone. Mm-hmm. And for a while, carry their eulogy around that we got at the funeral. My wife thought that was a little tacky. I shouldn't do that. You really want to go to war? Hey, it'll last four guys that did. They're all dead now. You got about two years left. You really want to do this? You got about two years left. Because in two years, don't ever go to war. With the Spirit of God. Well, there's a war breaking out right now. And uh, it's actually amazing to me that because it started with a movie that was so well done that I'm sure, now I don't know this for sure, but this is speculation on my part, but I think it's probably true. So I'll, I'll tell you straight out, it is speculation on my part, but I'm pretty sure it's true. This movie is so well done that it helped convince Benny Hinn to repent of something he didn't do. To repent of something that's right. <laughs> now, if you can take the guy, in my generation probably, the leading minister to advance the Holy Spirit and the gifts, it probably would be Benny Hinn. He wrote Good Morning, Holy Spirit. Great book. And then he got off into manipulation for money. How long have we been on that issue, manipulation for money? 30 years. It was the first message I preached when I came out here. 
And and this was the first church that said, you know what? We're going to build on something different. We're going to build on purifying the altar, which we did. Thank God. And boy, you ask yourself, it, how, how's that turning out today? Well, there's there's blessing. You look around. Do you see the blessing of God? You got it. And why? Because we chose the path of purity over mammon, over the spirit of mammon. So we've done the best we could on, on that score. Now, this, <clears throat> what I perceive as the fulfillment of Bob Jones' uh, prophecy is coming with this age-old war between the evangelical side of Christianity and the spirit-filled side of Christianity because the spirit-filled side of Christianity, honestly, has been guilty of manipulation. And not all, but many of the leaders have been. And so the other side did this documentary. I I saw the trailer. It's called uh, The American Gospel. And the more... So I started praying about that, and uh, my first reaction was, man, these guys did a great job because they're highlighting the manipulation for money that's over in charismatic Christianity. And then I said, no, wait a minute. There's a confusion that's gone on here because they're labeling as counterfeit Christianity the Abrahamic Covenant or or to, to, to say it differently, uh, the prosperity gospel. Well, what do you mean by the prosperity gospel? Well, the prosperity gospel, for those of us who don't manipulate, is the covenant of Abraham. And if it, just run your references and strongs on prosper or prosperity. Where will you find it? First appearance, you will find it. Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, God prospers them according to their covenant. He prospers them for a purpose so that they can be a blessing. It's covenantal. It's part of your inheritance in Christ. And then I felt like the Lord was saying, now look, I want you to go back and take another look at that. Look, look at all the guys who are criticizing. Did, did they take the Matthew 18 approach? Did they go to their brother? Well, I don't know. Well, does it say anywhere in Matthew 18, say if your brother offends you, go put him in a movie and try to destroy him as a, a counterfeit? No. No, it's not in there. So I begin to look again, you know, pray about this and think, uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm seeing something here I don't like. And what I'm seeing here, it, it, I'll tell you how it impacted me. As I prayed about it, I saw something and it was rat poison. Now I said, nobody in their right mind. What do we buy stuff like this for? Rat. We don't buy it for people. It'll kill people. We buy it for rats. Not for people. When you start calling the Abrahamic covenant counterfeit, what you're doing for anybody who believes it, it deprives them of their inheritance in that dimension. That's That's what it's aimed at. And you can bank on the fact that nobody will get spirit filled in their churches. You won't won't get the Holy Spirit. You won't get tongues. 
from people who don't believe in the Holy Spirit and don't believe in tongues. So what we've got is a civil war going on right now. And man, I'm telling you, God is showing the Phariseeism that's manifest over in that dimension because one of the leaders of that branch of Christianity was just asked um, at a conference by somebody, what do you think about uh, Beth Moore? In other words, what do you think of women in ministry? And his thing, send her home. And everybody said, what? You don't believe in women in ministry? No. How about divorced people? No. <laughs> there is a battle between the gray and the blue. And it's coming to the church. So the real question is, what are we going to represent? And I, I made up my mind, I'm going to represent the, the biblical promise of the gospel, which includes provision, the God of provision promises to bless us in order that we can bless others. And how much money do you think it's going to take to harvest the nations? I mean, literally, all the nations to send teams, literature, I mean, to pay. We're talking several billion people. If we're going to win them, if we're going to disciple them, what what is that going to cost? I mean, all I can tell you is what I heard the Lord say to me years ago. When I, when I, when I first did purifying the altar, one of his assignments to me was... Now, see, when I started, the, the Lord really, when I graduated from seminary, he said, I'm going to treat you just the way I did the 12 the first time I sent him out. And here, you can't ask for money, and you can't ask for a place to preach. You can never ask for money. You can never ask for a place to preach. Boom. Well, that ended up being my friend because I had no choice. I had to develop a relationship with the Lord. Where I didn't depend on a salary, a check, a people. I depended only on him. That proved to be my friend. Or great friend. Because I never reached a place where, you know, I was afraid to say something because it wasn't going to fit or nobody's going to like it or they weren't going to invite me back. Because God proved to me he was paying my paycheck. He proved it. And once I got established in that, man, I was free. I was free to serve the king, free without any reservations. And one of the things the Lord told me in those days, stop believing for M's and start believing for B's. Mm -hmm. It's going to take billions of dollars in the last days. I mean, I couldn't even get T's in. (laughs) I thought T was a major victory. A thousand was a victory. Stop believing for millions. Start believing for billions. God, come on. You got a sense of humor. What are you telling me that for? Well, the day is going to come when you're going to participate in end time harvest and you're going to need that kind of money to, to send teams out to nations. I've been in Costa Rica just a few uh, weeks ago, supposed to go again. And I mean, that whole area is opening up. God told me to get all my books in Spanish. So all of a sudden, I mean, I can spend all of next year just going to Hispanic countries and harvesting the nations. So it's obvious what's about to burst forth. 
And I'm telling you, their teams are going to go out of this church. When we get, when the, this harvest breaks forth, there are teams that are going to go, and you've got to have the transportation, you've got to have the money. Stop believing for M's and start believing for B's. When Benny Hinn repented, and I bless him for repenting, even if he sort of missed, but it wasn't the Abrahamic covenant you were preaching to repent for. It was using the covenant to manipulate people for money. That was the issue that it's worth repenting. So I'll just assume that's what he meant. And, and give him a, a, an attaboy and a, Benny, I'm proud of you. You know, I'm, I'm really glad you did that. Because it shows humility. It shows you're willing to change. And the Lord spoke to me, and here's what he said. Benny Hinn's repentance signals a change in how I finance ministry. No longer look to the money that comes in offerings as being able to meet what's needed. Now, you've lived that way for a long time, but but no longer. I'm changing the way I finance ministry. And I want you to hear this. We talked about it a little last time I was here, but I'm telling you, there's a civil war over this right now. I believe it's over the issue of money in the church. Because the charismatic ministries have got plenty of it. But you can't manipulate for money and continue. So that has to change. Fortunately for us, we never have. I mean, we've been 30 years on the right path on that deal. So thank God we got... There is a blessing about to burst forth in this house. And I believe across the body of Christ. Because the Lord tasked the creation with funding the end time harvest of nations. Now, that's in Deuteronomy 32, the blessing of Jacob, all right? Starting at verse 7, go down 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Deuteronomy 30, I'm not going to, I don't have time to go there, but just hear it. Look it up. It's true. He said, you will take oil from the rock. Now, if anybody knows about taking oil out of rocks. Yeah, we call that fracking. We know what that is here. This ain't rocket science. We know how to do that. Hallelujah. But look at what Romans 8 says. And remember, last time I was here, I told you the Lord gave me four different assignments. His theology for the Holy Spirit in Romans 8. We talked about that. Number one, Romans 8, 1 through 11, his first assignment. He gives us power. To say no to our flesh and yes to the Holy Spirit. So to bow to God. That's number one. To overcome your flesh. First manifestation. What is that? That's lordship. That's step one in relationship. Mm -hmm. Step two. Verses 12. Romans 8, 12 through 17. He makes sonship real. What we've been talking about for two years. God gives me that and said, see? See how that fits? He makes sonship real. Well, we're there. Sonship is real in this house right now. And you guys are starting to step into it. Well, what is phase three? Because phase three, the Lord said to me, phase three, 
Romans 8, verses 18 through 30. That's where the creation begins to hear the voice of the sons and daughters of God and respond. Phase three, creation starts to pay for the harvest of nations. The Lord said to me, this is the anointing that takes you from M's to B's. Phase three. Now, because I'm prophetic and because there's nothing, he does nothing, the Bible says, but what he shows it to his servants and prophets. I don't know much. But I do know what he's shown me. And so we, the first, when God shows you stuff, you go put it to practice. How many years did we go out salting? Two. Three now. Did we see God move billions of dollars of oil from one county to another? We saw it in 30 days. We saw it. We were there. I was with Keith, McClellan, and Mirabelle, and Mom. We were in the same pickup, praying the same thing. We were there. We, we saw it. We saw God answer that prayer. Now, since then, since getting this, we have been out to pray over land and we've spoken to it. And one of the places we went to pray over land, and we got a surprise. Voices from those who had been on that land before, talked to us while we were there. They welcomed us. They rejoiced that we were there calling all the oil in that area to pool up and come forth. Eight wells, let's see if I got this right. You're the compliance expert. Eight eight wells, 2,500 barrels a month, a day, a day. Maximum on each section. That the railroad commission allows, right? All right, so three sections. We prayed. Eight, eight, eight. Twenty-four. That's 120 million a month per section. Or 40. That's 40 million a month per section. 120 for all three. And let me tell you the voices of the people who had been on that land and are now gone, who have joined the cloud of witnesses. They welcomed us. They blessed us. They let us know they were exceedingly rejoicing because we were there doing what we were doing. And I'm telling you, if anybody had seen what we were doing, they they would have called the white coat guys. (laughs) You're what? (laughs) You're doing what? We're doing Romans 8 on this land. Because God said that's how he's going to pay for the harvest of nations. Now, church, when we come into that season, what it means is every able-bodied person is going to have an assignment and the money will be in the house to pay for you to do what God's called you to do. Nobody's going to be left out. Everybody will have an assignment to fulfill and every hand will be involved in the end-time harvest. Now, that's the door we're knocking on. And God told me, get ready, because it's coming. I'm going to do it. So you're going to see the fruit of that not very far from now. 
So what's our job? We bear the Holy Spirit of the living God. And our job is to be a faithful witness to Him. Both to charismatic Christianity that's not exactly doing it right. We dare not try to kill them because God probably wants to use them if they'll repent. So our job is try to get them to turn. Because reason with them. We're trying to win people. And it's, it's hard to lose them because we're going to need every hand on deck for the harvest. And that's where we're at right now. Our number one inheritance, the Holy Spirit. God told me to look at two people in the Bible. He said, look at, look at Paul at the end of his life and, uh, at the beginning of his ministry and the end of his ministry. Look at Mary at the, beginning of her ministry, and the end of her ministry. So I looked at them both, and God said the same thing to both of them because they are both asking questions. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? How can this be, seeing I know not a man? Answer, the Holy Spirit. Bam! Same answer to the Apostle Paul. The Holy Spirit. Both of same answer. We've got questions about the future. We don't know the answer. We don't know what this is going to look like. But the Holy Spirit leads us, guides us into application. And the number one thing we can bring to people is the real Holy Spirit who doesn't manipulate for money, who knows where it's at, who knows how to fund everything that we're going to see and walk with Hallelujah. Because the second phase of your inheritance that we don't have time to get to this morning because I'm done, we'll get to tonight, is Jesus is the ultimate overcomer in Scripture. And he has made you and I, we have an inheritance to overcome everything the enemy throws at us. Hallelujah. Now I want to end with this last thing. Let me tell you how easy it is to get pharisaical. can happen to anybody. 1984, the Lord speaks to me. No longer sell your books and tapes. Make them available on a pray and obey basis. If you, if you don't know what that means, I, I put it out on the thing back there. There's a little mouse pad and it tells you what pray and obey is. No price, no charge. One person's abundance in one season covers the other's lack. I mean, I, everybody told me you're crazy, you're nuts, this isn't gonna work, you better not do it. I said, God told me to do it, I don't have any chance, any choice. 21 years I did that. Well, something happened to me in that 21 years. What happened? I got blindsided, I got blindsided, and needed to repent. Cause I started judging people who weren't walking in that standard. And the Lord came to me and said, I want you to stop, pray, and obey, and I want you to put a price on your material. I said, I can't do that. (laughs) My identity had got rolled up in pray and obey. 
I had become pharisaical and didn't realize it. I had become judgmental and didn't realize it. (laughs) That's my testimony. I'm telling you, anybody can slip off into Phariseeism. It's unbelievable how fast it happened. Take it from somebody who knows. I have been there. I had to repent. I let tongues slip. I had to repent. My whole lifetime, I have to repent. I have to repent. I have to repent. You better just, you know, roll over and develop it as a lifestyle. Because it will keep you safe and it gets you to your assignment. The only thing that keeps us out is if we harden our heart and we won't turn. That's it. And I feel like I'm coming back to pray and obey. I had to get rid of the Phariseeism. That's my testimony and I'm sticking to it. Father, save us from the civil war that's unfolding in the church. Give us the heart to be the voice of your spirit, the voice of your word. Father, the power of your purpose in the last days. A true prophetic people who are not judgmental, who work to save, but they don't shrink from judgment either. So, Father, in Jesus' name, fill us with the fullness of Christ. And, Lord, give us the grace to recognize rat poison when it slips in our back door or it comes across our TV or our our phone or iPad or wherever it slips in. Show us. Make us a people who discern in Jesus' name. Lord, we thank you for it. We bless you for it. Now, Father, I bless this house. I bless the obedience of this house. And, Lord, in Jesus' name, open heaven and demonstrate, demonstrate, even to this city, the blessing of God that comes when you persevere. Make this a Philadelphia church in Jesus' name so that every single person who attends skates right on through the great tribulation and are untouched by it. Lord, I thank you for it. I expect it. I'm declaring it. And I'm calling it forth in Jesus' name. And everyone agreed by saying, Amen. Amen. That's the heritage of a Philadelphia church. I believe we're going to have several, but I know this is one. I know that's what it's called to, and I'm declaring it in Jesus' name. That's who you are. It's who you are, and that's where we're going. That's who you are, too, and where we're going, because you got that heart. Hallelujah. Rick. Six o'clock. Amen.